history tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 53rd episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. And today we're going to talk about one of the more haunted prisons in America, Alcatraz. This is going to be very, very cool because I've actually been to Alcatraz. And I'm looking forward to hearing about your personal experiences there. I love it when we talk about a place where... We've either been to, or people who are our listeners have been to. We're going to have a couple of those coming up. So, Yeah, and just for the record, I was a visitor, not a prisoner. If it wasn't for the dates, Denise, I would say, no, I don't think that's true. You probably were sitting in one of those cells. But, you know, as a matter of fact, I don't believe there were any women that were prisoners at Alcatraz. So before we get into talking about the history and hauntings of Alcatraz... We want to point you towards our website where you can find out everything you want to know about the podcast. That's at historygoesbump.com. You can listen to our most recent shows there. We have our archives there. The Emporium is there. Any purchases made there do go to the overhead for the show. You can subscribe to our newsletter and you can also donate to the show, which we greatly appreciate. And if you click on the blog tab there, you can find all of our show notes. Denise, if people want to get a hold of us to suggest locations to us or to make any comments, give us feedback on the show, where can they do that? They can do that at historygoesbump at gmail.com. And we had four people join us in the Spooktacular crew this week. We want to welcome Richard. Hey, Richard. How are you? Deborah. Deborah, keep those doll pictures coming. <laughs> and as a matter of fact, Deborah is an artist friend of mine. She's a great artist. I actually have a commissioned picture that I had her do for me when I used to do my political show. It was called the Freedom's Wing Show. And so I'd asked her to draw me an eagle coming up out of the flames. So she did that for me. It hangs in the wall of my office here right behind where we're recording. But she's moved into other ventures. And one of those is making creepy dolls. Really, really creepy dolls. Speaking of which... Thomas is our cartoonist friend. He's also a member of the Spooktacular crew. He is the gentleman who made the logo for the show. And it just so happens this past week I had a day off, so I was flipping through the channels and I came upon some reruns of Mysteries at the Museum. And I thought, I have never really gotten a chance to watch this show, but it looks really intriguing, has oddities in it, hauntings, that kind of stuff. Well, wouldn't you know, the first episode features Robert the Doll. Diane's favorite buddy. So I made mention of that in the Spooktacular crew, and Thomas got inspired by that and decided to draw a little cartoon of Robert the Doll saying, what? Hi, Diane, I'm sleeping in your room tonight. <laughs> and of course, I saw that right before I was going to go to bed. <laughs> I love the humor of our people. It was a great rendition of Robert the Doll. It creeped me out. And people are like, why is that doll so creepy? Not only 
because of his story. It's the eyes, I think, Denise. They're just those beady little black eyes. She doesn't like ble- beady black eyes where you can't see pupils. Yeah. Well, and they're just dolls that have regular eyes. At least they look somewhat normal. His are just, they look like watermelon seeds for eyes. So now you all know how to creep Diane out. <laughs> but uh, thanks, Tom, for that. I greatly appreciate it. Also, we want to welcome Rhonda to the Spectacular Group. Hello, Rhonda. How are you? And finally, Daniel. And Daniel, welcome. We also got another review over at iTunes. Thank you so much to Stephen. He writes, this podcast is a joy to listen and learn from. Thanks so much. Five stars. We greatly appreciate that. And if you guys have a moment, we'd love to have you head on over to iTunes and leave us a review there as well. Yes, please do. We, we love to know what you all are thinking about it about the show because our listeners are kind of our driving force, not kind of, you are our driving force to what we do, what we add, things we bring back. So let us know. Denise, are you ready to go to Alcatraz? We could do this as return to Alcatraz. I know, but I don't want to go back into solitary confinement. like to support the show please visit our patreon page at patreon.com forward slash history goes bump or perhaps you just want to make a one-time donation click the donate button on our website at historygoesbump.com welcome to this moment in oddity history ever heard of the dancing plague we hadn't heard of it either This odd type of social hysteria seemed to originate in Europe, and there were several occurrences between the 14th and 17th century. This phenomenon was first witnessed in Bernburg in the 1020s when 18 peasants sang and danced wildly around in a church. But the largest occurrence that put dancing mania in the history books happened in Aachen, Germany in 1374. Thousands of men, women, and children all took to the streets and danced about wildly until they finally collapsed from exhaustion. The next large bout of the strange mania took place in Strasbourg on July of 1518. A young woman stepped out into the street and began dancing. She did so for days, and within a week, 34 other people had joined in her contortions. By August, the number had swelled to 400. People began to die until finally the madness abated on its own. Dancing mania was rare, but it did occur, and it has left many wondering what caused such strange behavior. The people of the Middle Ages attributed the mania to a curse sent down by a saint for sins that the villages were committing. Some believed that people were faking illness or had planned the events, but most dancers seemed to be in agony while dancing and begged for help with fear in their eyes. Others think that poisoning by ergot might be the culprit. Ergot is a type of mold on rye bread. This theory is dispelled by the fact that people would not all react in the same way to this hallucinogenic effects of ergot poisoning. The most reasonable explanation is psychological distress and mass hysteria. The dancing plague is a thing of the past that certainly was odd. This history podcast is haunted. This day in history. On this day, June 29th in 1864, the worst railway accident in Canadian history occurred. 
The Richelieu River flowed between Montreal and New York City, and it was used as a lane of transport for goods aboard steamships. When the railway came into the area, the Bala Bridge was built over the river. The bridge was a swing bridge so that it could be moved when the steamships needed to get through. Swing bridges are movable bridges that rotate on a central column so that shipping lanes on either side are opened up. On June 29th, a little after 1 a.m., a grand trunk train was carrying nearly 400 German and Polish immigrants as it approached the Richelieu River. The swing bridge had been opened for passing ships, and a red signal light a mile before the bridge let the train conductor know that he needed to stop. The signal went unnoticed, and the grand trunk train ran off the railway and down onto a passing barge. The train crushed the barge and sank into the river. Remarkably, many people survived, but 99 were killed, while another 100 were seriously injured. A trial later that year found the Grand Trunk Railway Company of Canada at fault for the accident. You're listening to History Goes Bump. About one and a half miles off the shores of San Francisco, California, lies a rocky island with the infamous name Alcatraz. Some of the most notorious criminals in American history were sent to a prison built on the island that bears the same name because of the impossibility of escape. But long before the likes of Al Capone, Machine Gun Kelly, and Robert Birdman Stroud came to the island affectionately nicknamed The Rock, the island housed a lighthouse and a military prison. Many desperate souls whiled away their lives on Alcatraz Island, and many of those souls seem to have stayed. Those souls include not only prisoners, but banished Native Americans. Some claim a portal exists on the island. Come with us across the cold waters of the San Francisco Bay as we explore the history and hauntings of Alcatraz. The island that we have come to know as Alcatraz was first discovered by a Spaniard named Juan Manuel de Ayala in 1775. The island was covered in birds, particularly pelicans, and so Ayala named the island La Isla de los Alcatraces. I believe my Spanish is not so great, so I do apologize to anybody who speaks the language. Alcatraces translate to pelican in English and was anglicized to Alcatraz later. As we all know, the Native Americans were the first to discover everything about America since they were already here, and Native American tribes had not only seen Alcatraz Island, but they had used the desolate island with the sheer rocky sides as a place of banishment. The tribes believed evil spirits lurked on the island, so it was a fitting place for those that broke tribal law. The Mexican government gave Alcatraz to a man named Julian Workman and instructed him to build a lighthouse on the island. Workman did not bother with a lighthouse. He instead gave the island to his son-in-law, Francis P. Temple, who also did nothing with the island. In 1847, the governor of California, John Charles Fremont, bought the island from Temple so that the government could build the lighthouse in the middle of talking about this history. This was a weird deal because what Fremont did is he said, hey, Temple, we'd like to buy the island in the name of the government. Problem is, Fremont is a governor. And he's a governor of a place that's not even considered a state yet. It's kind of a territory. So how in the world could he represent the U.S. government? Well, when it came down to it and the U.S. government decided that they did want to have Alcatraz, Fremont is like, somebody's got to pay me for this or whatever. And they said, well, you couldn't buy this in the name of the government because you didn't have that authority. So then Fremont said, okay, well, then I own it. And they said, well, no, you don't. So there was a big court battle over the island, which, of course, 
the U.S. government eventually did get. And it went on for years and years and years all the way into his ancestors suing over it. The lighthouse was completed in 1853, but the Fresnel lenses were not installed until 1854. And the lighthouse was lit for the first time. It took them a while to find people who wanted to install the Fresnel lenses because it took some expertise. And so that's why it had been built for a year before they even got it lit. In 1853, the island was fortified by the Army Corps of Engineers. The island was a natural defense for the bay, and Fort Alcatraz was built. It housed 200 soldiers and 11 cannons. Work on the fort had been arduous, and no one is exactly sure how the team of 35 workers came and went from the island on a daily basis. Construction was hampered by the rock of the island as it crumbled easily. A plan to build a ditch around the fort was ditched as well when it was discovered it would make the island unstable. Cost rose as the fort was extended to compensate for instability. The buildings were built from sandstone at first because brick was hard to come by in the west. Bluestone, also known as granite, was considered for material as well. In the end, Alcatraz was built mainly from sandstone, concrete, and brick, while the granite was used for the South Battery. In 1857, the first fatalities occurred on the island. Two workmen were buried under a massive landslide. In 1859, 77 years of military administration began at Alcatraz. During the Civil War, Alcatraz was used as an armory to keep weapons out of Confederate hands. Eighty-five cannons were also installed at the fortification. The fort also had its first stint as a military prison for Confederate sympathizers and privateers at this time. In 1870, portions of Alcatraz were flattened in an attempt to level the island and build underground tunnels and magazines. After starting this plan at the southern tip of the island, it was abandoned as an impossibility. The entire complex was revamped and restored from 1869 to 1876, and it took on permanent use as a military prison. The Spanish-American War caused the prison population to burgeon. Later, some civilian prisoners were brought to Alcatraz because of the 1906 San Francisco earthquake. The concrete main cell block that we all know today was started in 1909 and completed in 1912. So this is the one when you see pictures of Alcatraz, that's what you're looking at is right. that main cell and block. And of course, that's the one that I visited. And when did you go there? Um, I went there, it would have been in high school because it was part of our church choir. Oh, so it was a bunch of you choir kids going into the jail. Yep. So what was it like? It was really neat. I would love to go back. Well, A, I want to take you to San Francisco to begin with, but I would love to go back with now my, my older appreciation of history and, of course, hauntings. Um, but it was really neat. We went through the tour, and at one point we got locked in solitary confinement. Mm. Well, they didn't lock us, but they shut the door so we would know what it felt like. Yikes. And one of the guys started singing the song we, we started that um, was a cappella, so, and we all just started singing because the, the, the darkness was very, very pressing. Even with, there was like a whole bunch of us in that cell. So there was no the windows door. or anything? No, it was complete darkness and you couldn't even really hear until our, until our guy started singing. And so that was just kind of that nervous, like, okay, let's get some noise in here. It was absolutely like desolate. There was nothing. No light. No, you could see your hand in front of your face. It was really dark. Oh, wow. And people were left in there for days. We're going to get into talking about that in a moment. Did you feel anything in there? Was it just oppressive from the lack of light or? Who knows? Because as we know, I haven't really consciously had any experiences that, that I know of. Sometimes we joke that I'm immune, but it, it just, it felt icky in there. Like I didn't like it at all. So it definitely was a punishment. Yes. No doubt about it. And don't get any ideas, Miss Diane. 
Dang it. <laughs> well, you know, I think I've talked on another show about, can't remember what the technical term is it when they make it so that a lot of podcasters will cushion their rooms so that there's not a way for sound to come in and out. And so it gets this zero noise in the background. And that itself can be so oppressive to humans that there is a room that is the most intense place that has this zero sound limit or whatever. And the longest anyone can stay in there is for 45 minutes before it drives them insane. So imagine the scenario with this, how many inmates went crazy at Alcatraz. Well, and plus, if you're an inmate of that magnitude, you're probably not that stable in the head to begin with. You know, anybody, I think, even serial killers who are brilliant, there's something wrong with the brain to start no with. Kidding. So. How did you get out to the island? It was a ferry. Okay. I swam. No, I didn't. That's the <laughs> other reason why Alcatraz was inescapable, <laughs> because if you got past all the walls, there were jaws. In October of 1933, the military handed over Alcatraz to the Bureau of Prisons, and it became a civilian prison at that time. Because of the location of the jail on the rugged island, it was decided that the prison was well-suited for the worst offenders. San Franciscans were not happy with the plan to house the worst of the worst off their shores. Unbelievably, at least 17 military prisoners successfully escaped Alcatraz. This would not be the case after Alcatraz became a federal penitentiary, as we'll discuss later. It was not always the worst criminals that found themselves in Alcatraz. Conscientious objectors were sent there during World War I. Generally, if a prisoner ended up at Alcatraz, it was because he had caused trouble at another prison. Staff was trained in security, but not rehabilitation. The first group of 137 prisoners arrived in 1934 to find the prison fortified in a way it had never been before. Double grating cell bar walls were installed as well as plate doors. Everything was built toolproof. Employees of the jail lived on the island with their families. Wouldn't that be something? It's like, hi, honey, I'm going to go be a guard at Alcatraz. Guess where you're going to be living? I can't even imagine having the families living out there. You know, the San Franciscans are going, we don't want that off our shores with the possibility of escape about nil. So I can't imagine a woman being like, sure, I don't mind living right next to it. I don't even Where are they going to head the first time they get out? Well, and I don't even want to live at a live in the same neighborhood of a low security, like, you know, a, a not the worst offender type jail, but a, what do they call it? Minimum security yes. prison. Yeah. So this is not only a maximum security prison, it's for the worst of the worst that other maximum security prisons couldn't handle. Exactly. I mean, it's like, okay, we're bad, but these guys are really bad, so we're going to send them there. Now, I believe we've discussed this as well on previous podcasts, particularly when we were talking about St. Augustine, is that we've been to the old jail in St. Augustine, which also happens to be haunted. And one of the neat things about going on the tour there is that they have, it's a very small cell block that you go into, so they didn't have a whole lot of people that were kept there. But the main thing that we pulled from visiting and and looking over this cell block was that this was the exact same design as the cells at Alcatraz. So I have kind of a feel of what those cells were like there. Yeah, well, we will get back there. So that is definitely on our, another one on our list, guys. We have a big travel list. So (laughs) if you can give up a cup of coffee and support the show, we would love it. We need to win the lottery. That's what the problem is. (laughs) That's true. The federal penitentiary ran for 29 years. During that time, 14 escape attempts were made by 36 convicts. None of them succeeded. 23 were captured before they could escape. The rest did not fare as well. Six were shot to death. 
two drowned, and another five went missing and were presumed drowned or eaten by sharks. <laughs> Many infamous gangsters spent time at Alcatraz. Everybody knows that Al Capone spent time there, but there was also Machine Gun Kelly, Mickey Cohen, Alvin Creepy Carpus, and James Whitey Bulger. Capone had been a master manipulator when it came to prison, and he managed to get lots of extra perks, including furnishings for his cell. Do have a picture of his cell at Eastern Penitent Tree in our show notes, so you can go take a look at that. And Denise, how would you describe this room? Does that look like a... Other than the walls, obviously. It actually looks like some of the European quaint little hotels we've stayed at when we visited Europe. I mean, it's not just that he has like a an extra chair that most people don't have and maybe a little desk. I mean, these are really nice furnishings and I bet they were very expensive. He's got this wonderful armoire type desk. Look at that lamp with the fringe coming down. I'm Paint, sure that's from another country. The painting on the wall. I Yeah, I mean, I bet the furnishings in this room cost several thousands of dollars. Well, and just looking at the rug, if that's a true Oriental or like Persian or Turkish rug, we know what those cost, and that would be a very expensive rug as well. I imagine people today as outraged as we get with the fact that they get to work out and have cable and internet and all this other stuff. I can't imagine what people would say if the cells look like this today. Exactly, but... Him being the master manipulator, this was not the case at Alcatraz. Capone was prisoner 85-AZ, living in cell B-181, and there was no special privileges. Capone spent 4.5 years at Alcatraz and was even stabbed while there. He told the warden one day, quote, it looks like Alcatraz has got me licked, end quote. His syphilis became symptomatic in the later part of his stay at Alcatraz. And you have to wonder if it was the syphilis or if it was he had to spend some time in the hole, the solitary confinement that you're talking about. So it makes you wonder, was it just the syphilis that made him crazy or was it a combination of the two? You know, what's kind of funny. I can imagine Al Capone walking in there the first day thinking, hey, I'm Mr. Well, he's Al Capone. Hot stuff, you know. And that warden was having none of it because he stepped forward and he was going to be the spokesman for the whole group coming in that day. And he, you know, you are prisoner, blah, 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 get back in line. And when he would try to smooth anybody, oh, no, it was not flying. (laughs) Into the hole you go. So, but I mean, that's what people like that need that think that they can just smooth their way and get away with whatever they want, which Al Capone did some horrible things. You know, he got his own in the end, though, because he died a lonely, syphilitic, syphilitic, is that how you would say it? (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) And no money man in Florida, so he got it. Alcatraz was tough for everyone there. A prisoner had a right to food, medical care, clothing, and shelter, but that was it. Anything else was a privilege, and daily life was very monotonous. Some prisoners were sent to the strip cell. This was an isolation cell. Prisoners were forced to strip naked before entering the cell, and they were given only bread and water while in there. The cell was dark, had no sink, and a hole in the floor served as a toilet. A step up were five cells dubbed the hole. These cells had a sink, light bulb, and a toilet, but they were isolated. There are stories that some inmates were tortured, and some of them had to wear those balls and chains. You know, we think of those in Mm -hmm. cartoons. That was a reality at Alcatraz. Yeah, it was a no no frills, no no holding back kind of prison. And for the record, when I went in there, they didn't have a strip. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine the scandal. We were having a bunch of high school choir members. Take your clothes off. Church choir. 
Church choir, <laughs> yes. Oh boy, that would have been fun. Yeah, the real choirs would never let me in because you have to audition for the. Yes, <laughs> you actually have to be able to sing. You can't just lip sync. <laughs> you know what? The only choir I ever sang in was the church choir too, because they're, they loved us. And the one girl next to me would be like, I can't hear you. And I said, that's by design. I know. They'd always tell us in church, me. make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And I'm like, yeah, what's coming out of my mouth when I'm singing a hymn? Man, it ain't joyful. I'm a bit, so like, a, I'm a bit like a blue jay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that impression. You're welcome. In 1946, one escape attempt led to the Battle of Alcatraz. Bernard Paul Coy had shimmied up a gallery and pried apart the cell bars. He had covered himself in axle grease and dieted down so that he fitted through the bars. He had spent months studying the routine of the guards. He grabbed a club, surprised the guard, and nearly beat him to death. Coy then lowered guns and keys down to some accomplices. Nine unarmed guards were captured and locked in cells. The escape attempt was foiled when one of the guards hid the main key that Coy needed in a toilet. Joseph Kretzer, one of the escapees, took his rage out on the jailed officers and opened fire on one of the cells. Gunfire was exchanged and another officer was hit and killed. The Marines were called in to help rescue the captured officers and restore order. The battle lasted 48 hours. Two officers and three inmates died during the fight. The prison was closed on March 21, 1963 due to saltwater deterioration and the expense of running a place like Alcatraz. Native American activists took over Alcatraz in the late 60s to protest government actions against Native Americans. That protest lasted for two years. The apartments and other housing units were reduced to rubble after the protest to prevent future use by activists. In 1972, Alcatraz became part of the Golden Gate National Recreation Area. Tours are offered of the jail and island, although none of them are specifically ghost tours. There are evening ferry trips and tours, though. Yeah, we went during the day, so it would be pretty creepy to go back in oh, the evening time. I can't imagine, but that'd be kind of like when I'd want to go. All righty then, let's do it. <laughs> that, that took a lot of twisting of my arm. Yeah. Alcatraz is thought to be one of the more haunted prisons in America. So see, at least they're honest. They're not the most haunted prison. No, but it did make a list of the top 30 scariest places in America, so. Yeah. Full-bodied apparitions are seen of both inmates and guards. The smell of smoke permeates corridors ever so often. The corridor where the escaped inmates hold up during the Battle of Alcatraz is the scene of hauntings witnessed by Park's employees. They claim to hear clanging, and when they enter the corridor, the noise stops. It resumes when they walk away. Once when the warden was giving a tour, sobs could be heard and a cold wind blew by the group. The warden did not believe in ghosts, but he could not explain what caused this weird experience. A prisoner was locked up in the hole in cell 14D sometime in the 40s. Guards heard him screaming, and when they checked on him, he begged to be taken out of the cell. He claimed that he had seen something with glowing eyes. The guards did not believe him and left him in the cell, ignoring his incessant screaming through the night. Eventually, he quieted down. The next morning, the guards found him dead with an expression of terror frozen on his face. An autopsy revealed he had been strangled. No guard claimed responsibility. The next day, when a head count was taken, there was an extra inmate who later disappeared. Cell 14D is often cold, and people claim there's an oppressive feeling within the cell. Abby Maldowitz was a gangster who was locked up in cell block C. His brutal ways earned him the nickname The Butcher. Another prisoner in cell block C killed him. A psychic claimed that she was hearing from someone in the jail claiming to be the butcher. The spirit is frightening. The butcher is not the only gangster hanging around in the afterlife. 
Al Capone gets around quite a bit, and Alcatraz is apparently another one of his haunts. Apparently, Al liked to play his banjo in the shower room. Visitors and employees sometimes hear the strumming of a banjo when near the shower room. Troy Taylor on his website, PrairieGhost.com, writes, quote, According to sources, a number of guards who served between 1946 and 1963 experienced strange happenings on Alcatraz. From the grounds of the prison to the caverns beneath the buildings, there was often talk of people sobbing and moaning, inexplicable smells, cold spots, and spectral apparitions. Even guests and families who lived on the island claimed to occasionally see the ghostly forms of prisoners and even phantom soldiers. Phantom gunshots were known to send seasoned guards cringing on the ground in the belief that the prisoners had escaped and had obtained weapons. There was never an explanation. A deserted laundry room would sometimes fill with the smell of smoke, even though nothing was burning. The guards would be sent running from the room, only to return later and find that the air was clear. End quote. So this shows that the hauntings Denise were going on long before... Alcatraz was a federal penitentiary. These were people experiencing that during the military prison days and stuff. Well, exactly. But again, it was a Native American site, Mm -hmm. and we know that many, many of those are haunted. And when people were banished there, sometimes it was just for a short period of time, but some, it was their entire life. And I don't know what they would have done. There would be no way to get food, I wouldn't think. So, I mean, there's no animals. They'd have to kill the birds, I guess. And I don't know what they would do for water. Yeah, because it's surrounded by salt water and... So I'm sure if you dig down, that's what you would get, too. Yeah, so I don't know how anybody survived that. Mark Twain visited Alcatraz and wrote that the experience left him feeling weird and described it as being as cold as winter, even in the summer months. Nearly every guard who worked at Alcatraz had some kind of unexplained experience. The intense feelings experienced at Alcatraz have left something to linger. What that is, no one can know for sure. Do evil spirits that the Native Americans claim live on the island actually exist? Have former prisoners from the military days and the civilian days decided to stay on in the afterlife? Is Alcatraz haunted? That is for you to decide. It's like jails, asylums, hospitals. Those places are keen for hauntings. And I think it's just because of the emotions that are associated with these places. Sanitariums, same thing. Right. Yeah, because that's what uh, we'd actually asked that one ghost. I think the one when we did Marietta, I'd asked her why why did she think because she'd made the comment that most apparitions and most activity was usually in the case of of distress, like, you know, the plague. It it was usually not a peaceful death in your bed that that had the apparitions. And she said she thought that it was the negative energy that any of those instances like a murder or, or that would cause. So. All of those places you just mentioned are definitely ripe for all of those kind of emotions. And Denise, I like to share with our listeners when I find a new podcast that really tickles my fancy that I think they might enjoy. And I know a lot of our listeners, one of the main reasons you listen is because you're really into history. And there's a lot of history podcasts out there that bas- that are about American history. But I found one that's about Australian history. So this will be a, a cool podcast for not only people who are just interested in world history, but for Freya and some of our other listeners that are in Australia, it's called Rum Rebels and Rat Bags. Isn't that a great name? <laughs> I just like the name Rum Rebels and Rat Bags. Triple and R. It's done kind of in a. I just listened to the last two podcasts that they've done. It's done, I think, in chronological order. So I need to go back to the beginning to listen. But it's been really interesting to listen to because we've done, I believe, three locations in Australia now. And this really gets into you have this place. First, you have your Aborigines who were already there, like our Native Americans here. And then the other people that came in and colonized were criminals. So you're thinking the people that are there that 
have been there from the beginning. Like, you know, we have our people here who could say, my ancestors were on the Mayflower. Well, if you had some of the original people to Australia, your ancestors were maybe not such great guys. Yeah, but, and the funny thing is, is that's definitely usually a number one travel destination. When you ask people, would you like to go, like, what would be your dream destination? I'm like, oh, I'd love to go to Australia, you know, and this is where we used to just send, like, they send criminals, like you said. So now we'd have a lot of people committing crimes just to get the dream, their dream trip. <laughs> well, and one of the recent podcasts that I listened to was on Sydney. And I was like, it is amazing to think that Sydney is like the place to go there. The Sydney Opera House is an iconic symbol around the world. Divers from around the world want to dive in the Great Barrier Reef right over there. And what Sydney was originally, how they came to be what they are now, just anywhere in Australia just sounded like it was desolate, hard to live there. And the one guy who ended up going there with one of the first groups, another guy had gone before him and said, oh, yeah, it's great. It's got water and these animals. He he got there and he went, was that guy smoking crack? I mean, obviously, he didn't say that way back then. But basically, that's what he was thinking, because it was the total opposite of what he'd heard. And I can't imagine traveling that far. You'd have a pit in your stomach. There's nothing to eat here. Farming is almost impossible. These weird things that hop on two legs. Yeah, different animals that you've yeah. never seen before. Which I would love to see a kangaroo in the wild. Yeah, Although we've heard that you can at least eat them, so... So that's another podcast if you guys want to check that out. And on our next show, we are going to be doing the Buxton Inn, which is in Ohio. And we want to thank Laura, our listener, for suggesting that to us. So yes, thank you, Laura. And we're looking forward to doing the research and the history on that one. And the hauntings, of course. All right. Well, we want to thank you guys for joining us for this one. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. Check out the website at historygoesbump.com.